1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Just crazy about Jesus. As the Apostle Paul now begins to continue to set really kind of his mission parameters, if you will, perfect study for what we've seen tonight and what God's doing through us as a church around the world in our own backyard, our own borders, and our own beyond. And because Paul had not come to Corinth to, you know, make himself famous. Paul had not gone to Corinth because it was a beautiful city uh, that was on the Mediterranean. He didn't go there for a vacation. Uh, He hadn't shown up there in Corinth because it was the hot place to be. He, He was not in Corinth because all the real beautiful people hung out there. He had gone to Corinth for exactly one reason, and that was to make disciples for Jesus. That is actually our mission as believers in general, but it is specifically our mission as a church. I believe that the one thing that the church must do is make disciples. The Great Commission isn't to go promote a church. It's not a ministry lifestyle. It isn't any of those things, though those things will happen as a natural result of doing the one thing, which is to make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is there that we'll dig in at verse 18. And would you join me and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for what you're doing in the church here at Calvary Chapel of South Bay. And we pray that you would just ignite a fire within us that is uncontainable. Lord, we desire to see people come to faith. Lord, we want to fill this place up to overflowing and then uh, just expand out, Lord. If you have designs to plant other churches, if you want to send us to other countries, Lord, we as your servants are listening and we want to hear what your spirit has to say. And so speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll pick up in verse 18, and we're going to try and finish the chapter. We'll see what happens. For the message of the cross, verse 18 says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. So to people who don't know the Lord, who have not yet come to faith in Christ, you've probably met them. They might be in your own family. When you tell somebody that they can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe simply by believing in the only begotten Son of God, they look at you like, what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Probably some of you in this room can remember back before you came to faith in Christ, maybe you came to the Lord a little bit older in life, and you may have even thought yourself, man, those Christians are just absolutely out of their minds. That is absolutely true. Out of our minds for the sake of Christ. We're just crazy about Jesus. Because he is the only name under heaven whereby men must be saved. There isn't anyone else. There is no other way to be saved. You cannot go to heaven unless you have believed on his name. And so we are crazy about Jesus. In that sense, just as we... Uh, We're back in the 60s and 70s. We are stone-cold Jesus freaks because we believe that Jesus has the power to change lives by redeeming people from their debt of sin, paying that debt so that they can be right with God the Father and thereby go to heaven. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
You know, when people think about religion, when they think about religious systems, they almost always come up with a very long list of dictates and a very long list of things that must be done. And case in point is Judaism. Now, most of Judaism, save those things which were added by the rabbis, actually came from God, but it really was the way that they related to God in the sense that there was a huge burden of works that were on the people. And eventually it became so burdensome that nobody could keep it. And that is, in essence, the definition of religion. Man trying to reach God by burdensome works that can never be done. Ultimately, it just doesn't work. Because we're flawed, we're failed, we're human beings, and so thereby we pretty much mess almost anything up, no matter how few principles are in it or how many principles are in it. We just don't do things repeatedly very well and consistently. And so he says, I'm going to destroy the wise. Those things which are those people who are prudent. For where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made, the fo- made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. If you ever want a case study in this basic principle, go into the religious section of Barnes & Noble, if you can find one. But go into any bookstore, if you can find one, Or go into Amazon and type in religious books and see how many hits you get. You're going to find out there are hundreds and thousands of books about religion. And I can tell you a vast majority of what's contained in many of them is absolutely not true. But it seems like it is. It seems like it might be righteous. The wisdom of this world... For since the wisdom of God, did not, they did not know God. You, you can't figure God out. His ways are above our ways. We can't know him in that sense. We know him because of Jesus. But anyone ever tells you he knows all about the Bible, or anybody ever tells you he knows all about God, run away. Because no one can know God that way. It's an impossibility. Now, you can know a lot about God because we have his word. So if you memorized your whole Bible, you're going to know a lot about God. You're going to know how to relate to him. But the fact of the matter is, God in his perfect essence is unknowable because his ways are so far above our ways, we cannot find them out exactly as the prophet Isaiah said. And so the Apostle Paul, writing on this particular thought process... Since it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It's not about religion. It's not about simple mental assent to knowledge. People often think that if I just do enough studying, I can eventually find God. You can study your entire life and never find God. And in fact, there are a lot of people who do exactly that. They even study world religions and never find the Lord. Because what they're looking for does not have to be found that way. It's found by grace through faith. 
It's a gift. God will give it to anyone who genuinely seeks Him. And it's not about you completely understanding everything about God. It's about God's grace poured out through His own Son, Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's cross for your sins, paying the price that you could not pay. Preach that to save those who believe. Notice what the criteria there is. Not save those who know. Not save those who are really bright. Simply save those who believe. That's why it's foolishness. That's why very often when you bump into really bright people, they have a tough time with the grace of God. For the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And he's just really restating what was the common thought process of the day. Because the Jewish people had for so long really kind of had a monopoly on a relationship with God. I mean, they're God's chosen people to this day. They have a special relationship with God. And one day, because your Bible says so, all Israel will be saved. But here's what's happened. The Jews constantly requested more. They wanted more information. They wanted another sign. Matter of fact, so much so that when Jesus was here on this earth, they asked him for signs repeatedly. Said, well, wait a second, we don't believe it's your I am. If you give us a sign, we'll believe the sign. Show us something, in other words. God doesn't save people who see something. He saves people who believe on the only begotten Son. Or knowledge. The Greeks sought after wisdom. The Greek word here is Sophia. Uh, the, the goddess Athena was the Greek god of wis- goddess of wisdom. And they worshipped wisdom. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Euripides, the father of all history, Herodias, Herodotus rather. The, these incredible Greek minds rationalizing, thinking through things. People sometimes come, well, you you need to prove God to me. And I'll look right at them and say, I can't. I can't. I can give you a well-reasoned argument for why I believe, but I cannot prove to you conclusively that God exists. You can't come to faith by proof. You come to faith by faith, and that's a gift. I can give you proofs. I can give you reasons as to why I believe. I can apologetically defend my faith. But I came to faith by believing in God's own Son. I did not come to faith because I figured out that there is a creator and that evolution is a lie. That helped me know that the gospel message was true, but it did not convince me that God was God. We preach Christ crucified, which to the Jews is a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul's preaching on the cross is direct, and it is absolutely pointed. 
There is no doubt about what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And the reason this is so important to us, church, is this. There are a lot of things to talk to people about as a believer. You can talk about political positions. You can talk about social issues. You can talk about the economy. You can talk about our own communities that we live in. You can even talk about church. You can talk about family. There are lots of things that you can use as a sounding board to talk to people, to open the door. But as far as the gospel is concerned, it's always Jesus. It's not just God. It's not just your Bible. It isn't just church. It's not a brand of church called Calvary Chapel. It's not a pastor. It's not me. It's not our assisting pastors and staff. It is none of those things. It is the gospel that saves men's souls. And we have to get back to the gospel. So you can share about church all day long. But if you do not bring that back around to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've missed the opportunity. You can talk about righteousness all day long, but if you do not bring that back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've missed an opportunity. It's the gospel that saves. And so Paul now is going to say, look, I'm just playing crazy about Jesus. And people are going to call you crazy for believing that this is so important. I very often will get emails about the things that we should do as a church. We should have this giving plan, and we should have these types of social outreaches, and we should do this, and we should do that. And it's just a, I get stuff almost every day about some new type of ministry that someone somewhere thinks we ought to get engaged in. And the way I judge whether that actually gets read or thrown immediately into the trash can is does it have anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if it does not preach the gospel, it's a waste of my time and yours. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to preach Christ. Now, we can do that through reaching out to people who are homeless. We can do that by going in the mission field. We can do that by reaching those who are elderly and infirm. We can do that by having prayer teams. We can do that in a lot of different ways, but we must always concern ourselves with how does this advance the gospel? Because that is what we have been called to present to the world. You see, there's two distinct groups. That's it. There's no more. That's all there is. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I think there's those who are, they're, they're kind of waiting. No, there's only two. You see, because people are always looking for some new kind of wisdom. You know, they want to say, well, there's the, the, the kind of almost sort of saved people. No, the kind of almost sort of saved people are actually still lost. You see, when you start doing things like that and you start justifying something other than the gospel as your reason for being a part of any ministry, you, you're, you're kind of you're off on some false trail of wisdom. Here in the southwest, we have, uh, Connie and I were over in Arizona, watch the spring training game, go blue. <laughs> but 
we're, we're in this old mining town. There's all these plaques on there. Uh, and one of them had the Cowboy Ten Commandments, which I threw up on Instagram. But there was another one. And, and it was cowboy wisdom. And I think we all are kind of prone to our own kind of wisdom. And here it says the wisdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some of us have cowboy wisdom. There's a young man named Chuck, and he was in Montana, and he bought a horse from a farmer for 100 bucks. The farmer agreed to deliver the horse the next day and showed up, and he, he said to this guy who bought it, Chuck, he said, well, I'm really sorry, but the horse died. He said, well, can you give him my money back? And the farmer said, no, I can't do that. I already spent it. And he said, well, bring me the dead horse. My farmer looked at him and said, well, what are you going to do with a dead horse? He said, well, I'm going to raffle him off. You can't raffle off a dead horse. He said, sure I can. So sure enough, Chuck raffled him off, sold 500 tickets at two bucks a piece, made a profit of $998. He said, isn't that $1,000? He says, yeah. He said, I got one complaint. He said, really? Yeah, it was the guy that won, so I gave him his two bucks back. Chuck now works for the government, by the way. <laughs> There's all kinds of wisdom. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. But the bottom line is there's unbelievers and there's believers. Romans 1.16, we read, we read as part of the commissioning. It's the gospel of God and the salvation. It's God's intelligence. It's not worldly wisdom. And so when we think about the gospel, we've got to stick to it, family. You see, sometimes what happens is we, we become actually unknowing and unwitting agents of the enemy because we start repeating things like the world says. We start using cowboy wisdom. We start using the world's wisdom. And worldly wisdom, worldly intelligence cannot get you to heaven. No matter how much of it you have, you could be the smartest person in this room, and if you do not know Jesus Christ, you are part of the group called unbelievers. No matter how intelligent you are, you could have multiple PhDs in astrophysics. You, you could be the world's greatest bioengineer and be in this room tonight, and let me just say this clearly, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. You see, people hear that and they're like, oh, I can't believe you said that. I would be in sin if I didn't say that as a pastor. Because it's not knowledge that gets you to heaven. It's not intelligence that gets you to heaven. It's not knowing anything save the Lord Jesus Christ crucified on Calvary's cross and Him alone, faith in Him, that gets you to heaven. But that's foolishness to the world. That's why Romans 1 declares that those who don't believe the gospel message profess themselves to be wise and yet become fools because they begin to worship the creation. You see, here's the deal. You were created by God for worship. And you will worship something or someone. The only question is what or who. You can worship money, you can worship power, you can worship fame, you can worship 
all kinds of individual gods. You can worship this earth. You can worship flipper. You, you can worship baseball. You can name a sport. You can worship it. You don't believe that people worship sports? Oh, yes, they do. They spend all that they have. I was talking to a guy the end of last baseball season when the Dodgers lost in the World Series. He paid $18,000 for a seat behind home plate. I had to hold my tongue. Because I was thinking, and it was not nice, Pastor Jeff, it was, no, it it was, and he was was devastated because he loves the Lord, and he's like, I can't believe I did this, but I really wanted to go to the World Series, and it's like, it's like I lost my mind for a minute. People lose their minds all day about a lot of things. We need to lose our minds about Jesus. He can save people. But see, people like to debate, and you need to be very, very careful with the world's debate club. And I want to preface what I'm about to say with there is absolutely nothing wrong with you being the most intelligent, the smartest person in any room ever. And in fact, I encourage you to be so and do so. Please, in Jesus' name, if God has called you into any kind of profession, any area of education, any area of study, as a believer, you should be the very best at it. You should know more than anybody. But that won't save you. We need doctors and lawyers. We need people in every profession. We need teachers. We need professors. We need people who absolutely love the Lord Jesus that are brilliant and intelligent. The problem is the world worships intelligence. I read an article, I was was kind of thumbing through the internet because I usually do this before I teach just to see if there's anything that's kind of applicable to what I'm going to teach on. And lo and behold, there it was. Happens to also be from the same state we were in last week, the state of Arizona. And it was this article about a teacher in Arizona who who posted up her pay stub and was complaining about what she made. And frankly, it was pathetic. It was about $37,000 or so annually as a degreed teacher with a master's degree. And then down at the bottom, I'm reading through what it cost her. She had $80,000 in debt. Now, let me tell you something. If you have like a Pell Grant or something like that, you're probably paying 6 or 7% interest. With that salary, with the cost of living, she will never live long enough to pay that debt off. And yet people worship education. She had a master's degree. Again, nothing wrong with it. If you're a teacher here, praise God for you. But the point is this. We worship lots of things, including being intelligent and having degrees. And you walk into a room and someone says, well, I have a PhD in astrophysics from MIT. Everybody's going, oh, that's a smart guy. That's the smart woman. That may be true but they could also be lost. They don't know Jesus. Stephen Hawking passed away uh, just two days ago. 
probably the most intelligent person at the time that he passed away. Right now, I, I pray in Jesus' name that somehow the gospel got to him. I doubt that, I, I have no understanding that that happened because he denied Christ. I pray that he received the Lord, but if he didn't, I guarantee he believes in Jesus right now. Incredibly brilliant man. Even with ALS, even confined to a wheelchair, even with one functioning cheek muscle with which he used a stick to move his motorized chair and yet still had three earned PhDs that I'm aware of. You see, the world's debate club says God doesn't exist. The world's debate club says there's an explanation for everything apart from God. You need to be careful because you can get drawn away by that intelligence. All of a sudden you start, well, you know, gosh, did they really disprove God? Well, the fact of the matter is, no, they did not disprove God. But if you give people enough information, they get buried under the information. And before you know it, you start, well, Scott, I mean, he's that smart, of course. If she's that brilliant, I mean, she must know more than I do. And she doesn't believe in God. Look, the gospel is simple. It's not complex. And you don't need a PhD to understand it. You need to know Jesus Christ personally. That's how you have a relationship with God. You might notice here that there's a, several groups, philosophers and scholars and debaters that are mentioned here in verse 20. These are people that generally are thought of as brilliant. Be careful. Be careful. I bump into more college students that have gone off and within their first usually year and a half or so of college, all of a sudden they're questioning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it usually goes along these lines. I took a philosophy class. I took a debate class. I took some form of a biologic science class. And you know, it just kind of appears that we really have figured out that God doesn't exist. That is a lie from the enemy. That's the conclusion of people who already do not believe in God. And so they put forth enough information that you begin to believe the same things they believe, even though what they believe is not proven. Like chemicals somehow could coalesce into something that stores information and energy, spinning around randomly, in a primordial universe for the last 13.7 billion years. You see, you put enough PhDs together, and before you know it, what's well, got to be true? When they skip the essential question, which is chemicals cannot store information by themselves. Skip right over that. Be careful. Beware. Human reasoning can't bring you to faith in Christ, but human reasoning can push you away from the good news of the gospel. That's why we call it simple and yet profound. 
the Jews thought it was foolishness because they couldn't believe for an instant that there was, of all they knew about Messiah, they believed he was going to be a conquering king, which is true, he will. But he didn't come the first time as a conquering king. He came as a humble servant. And so because he came as a humble servant, which if they'd actually just stopped for a couple of minutes and read Isaiah 52 and 53, they would have realized that's exactly how he said he would come. Zechariah chapter 9. He was going to come on the foal of a donkey. This should not have been new news, but because of their political views. Can I tell you right now, God is not a Republican. (laughs) Neither is he a Democrat. He's not an independent. He has no political party. He doesn't watch Fox News or MSNBC. He doesn't watch PBS. And he doesn't watch the BBC, the Holy of Holies. He's never tuned in to Nat Geo. Why am I saying this? You see, the wisdom of God to the Jews, they thought, wow, he's got to come as a conquering king. Their political view caused them to miss the fact that Jesus was Messiah because their political view was, we are being oppressed by Rome. And we are sick and tired of being under the thumb of Rome. And so when Messiah comes, in order for us to be out of bondage, we need a ruler with an iron hand. And so when Jesus came on a donkey, they're going, it's not him. But by grace and through faith, they would have simply understood the writings of the prophets. It's exactly how he said he'd come the first time. The second time, he will come exactly as they were looking for him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, the Jews were looking for a political solution. The Greeks, the the Gentiles also is another way to understand that, were looking for philosophy, they were looking for wisdom, they were looking for understanding, they were looking for knowledge. We need to be able to explain this to us. Here it is. Jesus died on Calvary's cross for you. Well, we don't believe in the resurrection. I mean, that's, that, that's a myth. We don't believe in that part of the myth. Uh, we believe that, you know, there's a Mount Olympus, and we believe there's a whole bunch of gods, and we believe in Athena. Our temple's right there. You, you see, they had a problem intellectually. You've got to be careful because the gospel is simple. It bridges all of these things. No reputable person in a, in a Greek world was going to rely on something as crazy as a bodily resurrection of a, of a now dead king. That's crazy. No God would subject himself to that. I mean, we believe that Zeus is who he says he is. He's over there. From Corinth, they could have looked up across the the sea. They would have seen the top of Mount Olympus. He's up there. 
Our gods are strong. Our gods are mighty. You see that giant statue there? That's who we believe in. I encourage you someday when you got a little bit of time, it's a short read, you can probably knock it down in a day if you sit down in a lawn chair on the beach someplace, but pick up a copy of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, worldly wisdom, you need to be careful of that encounter. And in that, in that book, it's an allegory, and it, and it kind of pictures exactly what's going on here. And there's a place where worldly wise men is having a conversation with the evangelist uh, in the story. And it says, I will now show thee who it was that deluded thee, that a man met thee, the one is the worldly wise man, and rightly so he's called, partly because he savoreth only the doctrine of this world, and therefore he always goes to the town of morality, to church. And partly because he loveth that doctrine best, for it saveth him from the cross of Christ. Morality, understanding, knowledge, all of those things can keep you from seeing the simplicity and the profoundness of the gospel. Be careful. That's why it says to the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Those who are called both Jews and Greeks, says there in verse 22 through 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Seems silly to people in the world. It's like, seriously, you think that's how you come to a relationship with God? You just believe? Yep. It's exactly what I believe. I believe I believe. I got asked that one time. I was like, well, so, you know, if you're going to boil all this down, what do you, can you explain the gospel to me? I said, yes. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I said, well, it can't be that simple. I said, it is. So simple a child can believe it and so complex that no Ph.D. on this earth is ever going to be able to rationally understand it and write a book about it. That God sent his own son into this world that the world through him should be saved. That we who believe on him will also become part of his family. There's just so much to the gospel, and yet it's so simple. Well, I don't have any faith. Well, just ask God. He'll give you some. And people always say, well, you know, I, I just can't believe that. No, no, you don't want to believe that. You can, because faith is a gift. You see, there's a lot of answers in mankind, and it's, it's kind of like the mixed plate. I don't know if you guys like Hawaiian food, but I'm pretty much addicted to L&L barbecue and Maui chicken. <laughs> And you get the mixed plate, you know, and on there you got chicken katsu and teriyaki chicken and teriyaki beef and, you know, you got the mac and cheese salad and all that stuff. And you're, it's, it's a mixed plate, right? There's a lot of different things on there. Human reasoning is like a mixed plate. There's a lot of different things on there. 
Now, when you say you believe in the one way, people don't like it because it takes away their choices. See, as human beings, we like choices. We like mixed plates. I never get just teriyaki chicken because I like choices. Matter of fact, the more choices, the better. That's why most of us, when you buy jelly bellies, we don't get the one flavor, except for my wife, Connie. She gets only the popcorn. Just saying. Popcorn-flavored jelly bellies. They're from Jesus. <laughs> but we like choices, don't we? You, you see, the world likes choices, too. And when you tell them about the one way, the one gospel... Every humanistic belief system goes out the window. Because you can't have competing truths. One's true, the other's not true. So every other system that's not believing on the only begotten Son of God is automatically false. So you've taken away that choice. Another mixed plate item, you go there in that little plastic cubicle on your plate is mankind's self-righteousness. You ever bumped into somebody who thinks they're good enough to get to heaven on their own merit? I have. And people will list all the things that's going to get them into heaven. I went on a mission strip. I know my Bible. That's a very common one, by the way. I know my Bible. I'll just ask him, have you believed in the name of Jesus? Have you received him by grace through faith? You see, because that's self-righteousness if you haven't believed in his righteousness as a gift to you. It might be really nice-looking self-righteousness, but if you're trusting in you and your good works, it's another item off the plate. How about our self-sufficiency? Well, I don't really want to have to go to God for this kind of thing anyway. I want to do it my way. You know, it's like a Frank Sinatra song. Did it my way. We like to do it our way, don't we? Anybody in here ever made deals with God? Raise your hands. Come on, I want to see them. Good, me too. Yeah, I've made deals with God because I'd like to do it my way. I remember as a young Christian, it's like, well, if I do this, then God, will you do, you do this for me, and I'll do this for you? <laughs> we like self-sufficiency. We do not want to depend on anyone, including God. So when we're forced to depend on God for grace through faith, I'm like, well, I don't like that. It's all God. Yep. It began in heaven, instituted in heaven, carried out on earth, and it was done by Jesus Christ himself. Hasn't got a thing to do with you. He did it for you. Another thing off the mixed plate. Basically, you end up messing with man's gods. Because man has a lot of gods. We worship all kinds of stuff. And God's saying, you can't. I'm the one you're supposed to worship. And because of that, verse 25, the foolishness of God is is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, it's not about us. It's about Him. 
And in our wisest, we fall short. And no matter how unintelligent you may be, you can still believe by grace and through faith because that is given to you as a gift. So anybody can be be saved. I love that. You see, if it took one ounce, one iota, one smidgen, one tiny granule of anything that you had to produce, get, or keep to make you a child of God, then there will be somebody on this planet who cannot get that thing. And thereby, not everyone can be saved, and thereby God is a liar. But the bottom line is, because faith is a gift, anyone can get it, and anyone can receive it, so anyone can be saved. No matter where they came from, no matter what they know, how smart they are or are not, because it's a gift. And in that sense, it's not about you and me. It's not about us. You see, the the Greeks are basically saying, look, we believe that in in wisdom, and and he lists kind of three different groups of people here. We, We believe in people who are intellectuals and philosophers, and we believe in politicians, and we believe in decision makers, and we believe in aristocracy. We believe that those people really have it together. If you want to prove that that's not true, just read a newspaper if you can find one. Or go on the internet. Some of the craziest things done by people on the face of the earth are supposedly the brightest minds that we have. It's nuts. Just because you're a philosopher or an intellectual, I have had some conversations with some really bright, dumb people. And I mean that actually respectfully. They're super intelligent. Well, they can't tie their shoes. I've talked to people who are politicians and decision makers, and they are some of the most decrepit, inept thinkers that I've ever met. Oh, they got politics down. They know exactly how to work the system. And for that, they're actually brilliant as a person who's using their mind. But they can't find their way down two streets. You tell them to make two rights and then a left, and they're like three streets off the base, you know? Aristocracy, you don't need much more explanation than look at our political systems and what we would call those who are the, the top rung of the ladder. It's like right now, it's like, man, I, oh my goodness. Those of noble birth. Some of those people think that they have a relationship with God simply because of who they are. You know, the Queen of England believes she's saved because she's also the head of the Church of England. Did you know that? She was born into it. Now, I don't know her personally, so I haven't asked her the question, but her official standing is she's the head of the Church of England. The Christian church. I must be a believer. 
I tell you, I've met people who believe that their families are Christian families and thereby they're saved as well. My mom's dad's uncle's cat was saved. (laughs) I must be a Christian. And you ask them why they're saved? Well, we have a family Bible and my name's in it. And by the way, that has been told to me exactly that way. Well, yeah, I looked on the coffee table and we have a family Bible and my name's in there. And they can tell me, tell me when they were christened and when they were baptized and they can tell me all these things. You ask them if they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and they go, huh? What? Yeah, you gotta know him. You gotta know him. And you have to profess him as your Lord and your Savior. It is not about us, it is about him. In that sense, it is all about Jesus. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those things which are mighty. Sounds strange to the world. You talk to people who don't know the Lord Jesus. They're like, what do you mean? The base things of the world, verse 28 says, the things which are despised God has chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are. Not what you think you know. that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that is written that he who glories, notice this, let him glory in the Lord. Not in anything else. Now, the only glory that I have on this earth is the glory that's been given to me because of Jesus. That's it. I don't have any other glory. That's pretty easy to see. The glory that we proclaim is the glory of God in Christ Jesus. You see, it's all about him. God chose the foolish things, the weak things, the debased things, the things that don't make a bit of sense to people who don't know the Lord. And so God uses this incredible gospel message to save anyone who will believe. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to have the pastors come forward. And I want to challenge you tonight. Maybe you're here, you came with a friend, I don't know. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you honestly don't know whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. You don't know whether you've ever invited Christ into your life. You see, it's not about me convincing you of something. It's about you receiving the gift that God has through Christ Jesus. It's about you knowing that God loves you. And because God loves you, he sent his only begotten son into this world that the world through him should be saved. And so I'm asking you a very simple question. Do you know Jesus? And if you don't, the pastors are going to come forward and I'm going to ask you as we begin to close in a worship song, if you don't know him, you need to come up here tonight and you need to pray to receive Jesus Christ. You may not have all the answers right now. 
But I can tell you this, there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That if you believe in him, you shall be saved. Now the reason I'm saying that to many of you who are here who are already believers is it's that simple. Don't make the gospel complex. It's the simplicity of that message that actually causes people to say, I can believe that. Would you bow your heads with me and let's begin to pray. If you don't know Jesus, you need to come forward right now and receive him as your Savior. Father, thank you for this time tonight. And we believe by the Holy Spirit that you're actually drawing men into repentance that you desire that those who do not know you that are here tonight, and there are some, that they would be saved. And so, Father, I'm asking, we're asking as a church, that by your Spirit you would convince them of the truth of this simple gospel message that you, Jesus, desire for all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of repentance, to have their sins forgiven, and their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that debt paid, Lord, that they owe right now, that if they were to die tonight, they could not pay it themselves, but you will pay it willingly for them because of what Jesus did on the cross. Help us to keep it simple, Lord. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.